World's Finest Podcast, Episode 4. David Sims, and just so you know, James Doe will be here for the bulk of the show, but he's running a little late right now, and he told me to go ahead and get the intro started, so this way, by the time he was able to jump on Skype, we could just start the episode up. But I wanted to point you guys to a little website that I thought you might find interesting, and of course, it is DC-related, this being uh, a podcast that dedicated to the DC Animated Universe. I thought y'all might find this interesting. Recently, Warner Brothers put up a teaser site for Batman Begins 2, better known as The Dark Knight. Now, the teaser site, the first one was simply IBelieveInHarveyDent.com. That's IBelieveInHarveyDent.com. And what you'll pull up is a mock website quote-unquote paid for by the friends of Harvey Dent in an effort to get him elected to, for district attorney of Gotham City. It's a really cool website. Well, in the days that followed, a second promotional website opened up. This one was I Believe in Harvey Dent 2. That's T-O-O. Now, the image that first popped up, it was the same promotional image that you saw on the first website, and I Believe in Harvey Dent. But if you entered, a, if you entered your email address, you would get an email from a certain someone, when you went back to IBelieveInHarveyDent.com, you would have to input a little code that you got in the email. And the uh, image started to deteriorate, and behind it, a new image was formed. Again, I'm not going to spoil what it was, but let's just say it was very interesting, and it's going to set up Batman Begins 2, as I said, that's going to be The Dark Knight, and Batman Begins 3. Of course, I don't know what that's going to be called. Well, in the days that followed... I believe in Harvey Dent 2 was taken down. Or was it? See, the whole thing is that it's supposed to be hacked by this certain someone that I'm not, that I'm not spoiling for you guys. Well, if you go to I believe in Harvey Dent 2, remember TOO.com, right now, the image is gone. That teaser image is gone. And what you'll find is a little thing that just says page not found. Well, if you press control and then hold down A, you can kind of see some, uh, hidden text. That's all I'm going to say, and that'll give you a clue as to who is behind this whole hacking, quote-unquote, of Harvey Dent's site. Now, the the uh, hidden text or that doesn't end there. If you actually pull out, if you actually copy, I should say, the hidden text into Word, there's hidden text inside the hidden text that says, See you in December. It, it, I might be paraphrasing there. Now, I don't know what we are going to see in December, but I am extremely excited for Batman Begins 2. Again, I should call it The Dark Knight now. Be, just because of all this, all these uh, viral campaigns that they're putting out there, I, I'm just stoked. I mean, it, it's the movie doesn't come out for a full year, but it, 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 it's really exciting what they're doing. So again, I believe in HarveyDent.com and I believe in HarveyDent2, T-O-O.com. <laughs> So do you want to start us off with a synopsis of Beware the Grey Ghost? Oh, do you want to? Because I know, I think you probably, li- I like this episode, but I know you 
probably love this episode. Oh, yeah, I adore this episode. Um, It's all yours. (laughs) It was very hard for me not to give this episode, like, a 10, just just because. Despite several flaws, I just wanted to go, 10, it's perfect, you know? Um, (laughs) But, yeah, basically, this episode is about, um, it's it's not even about Batman at all. It's about a washed-up actor... Uh, played by Adam West, by the name who goes by the name of Simon Trent, and he played uh, in his at the peak of his career. He played a character called the Gray Ghost, and now all these years later, he's been typecast as the Gray Ghost. He he can act, uh, you know, well. He can do any role that they give him, but people just see him as the Gray Ghost, which is exactly what happened to Adam West um, from the 1960s Batman series. And as you know, as this is going on, as we see Simon Trent not being able to get any any uh, parts in in Hollywood, there's these bombings going on that mirror what happened in one of the episodes of The Gray Ghost. And Batman, or I should say Bruce Wayne, watched this cartoon with or a live action show, pardon me, with his father when he was a youth. And there's something in the back of his head reminding him that there's a connection between bombings that are going on in Gotham and the bombings that are going on in the TV show. And at first it looks like it might be Trent who is uh, going about these bombings. And it makes sense that it would be him because the bomber's requesting $1 million and Trent's down on his luck. He needs money. He needs rent money is what he really needs. Um, and, of course, it's not him and Batman and the Grey Ghost team up to find uh, who the bad bomber really is. So that's pretty much the synopsis of that. So what are your thoughts on this one, James? That was a great episode. Man. Absolutely. I will not disagree with you there. Uh-huh. Uh, it was, the animation, first off, was beautiful. Uh-huh. Just the whole time, young Bruce, I, you know, I can tell, was animated by a Japanese artist because the facial structure was very much early 90s anime style. Oh, okay. I didn't pick up and, on that. Well, you figure I would. Uh, yeah, I love the orange tints they put with all the, the flames in the in the background and the foreground all throughout the episode, those were just beautiful. I think uh, my favorite my favorite theme with this is how uh, Bruce is uh, he wants to help uh, Trent, but uh, Trent is in, ends up being thrilled to help Batman. That's because uh, you know this was his childhood hero. Bruce is he's like the, he's like a kid again, which he can't he he never is. And never, and you know, he's never, like you said, he's never been a kid since he was eight years old. Mm-hmm. So, but it's kind of nice how they had a parallel with uh, Grey Ghost being like, oh wow, I'm helping a real hero here, the, the Batman. So, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought one thing I wanted to mention real quickly before I forget was uh, they actually got the Real People magazine logo yeah, they in the did. cartoon. I thought that was kind of cool. Is is People Magazine owned by like Warner Brothers or one of their subdivisions? Maybe that's how they got it. I don't know. I mean, obviously Time Magazine is, but mm-hmm. uh, I would I don't know about People. Now, speaking of that giant magazine cover that we see at the end, that's the one you're referencing, right? Right. You realize that that's the first appearance of Clayface? Yes, it is. On Matt that Hagen's poster, first... right at the top, it says Matt Hagen, man of a thousand faces or a million faces or whatever it says. Mm-hmm. That, that is that is such a cool nod because in a few episodes, we get Feet of Clay, the first real appearance of the character. So the fact that they were just kind of foreshadowing what was coming up with him is just is just really neat. And it, it's, I don't know, it just makes the universe feel whole. Even though, you know, we don't get a lot of continuity from one episode to another, it's nice to see those little tidbits here and there, just sprinkled throughout, saying, yes, this is one universe. Yes, there's more going on. 
That's that's because you don't get that in other cartoons. You know, you watch Tiny Toons, also from this era. There was no continuity from episode to episode. You watch Pinky and the Brain. There was no continuity from one scheme to the next. It was just, we do this gag, and we're on to the next. So this cartoon, again, just stepping it up, just stepping it up again and again and again, saying this is different than anything else you've ever seen. What about you? Um, My first thought is that this episode absolutely, positively would not work if Adam West did not voice Simon Trent. No, because it was supposed to parallel his life. Exactly. And I'm looking at Wiki right here, and it says that Bruce Timm and company wouldn't have done the episode if they couldn't get Adam West. Because they were afraid that basically he'd think they were making fun of him, when they respect him greatly. And you don't you don't want to offend someone you respect, obviously. So I, I think that's really cool that they're like, hey, if you if you if you don't want to do this, we'll scrap this whole episode. And he's like, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, it's great. And he puts so much heart and emotion into this character. I mean, I feel for Simon Trent, but there's a part of me that also feels for Adam West. Yep. Because you know a lot of the emotions that Simon Trent is feeling are emotions that Adam West must have felt somewhere throughout his career, be it right after Batman ended, in the 70s or 80s, when he, when he really was having trouble getting roles, um, into the 90s, you know, you know he felt these emotions at some time, and it shows in his acting. He does such a wonderful job in this. Amen. And, and my, my second thought is that I wish Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and the entire crew that produced the Batman show in this entire universe would produce a Grey Ghost cartoon. I am not joking. I would just drool over a Grey Ghost cartoon. Of course, voiced by Adam West. You've got to get Adam West to do it. And, you know, when, when uh, the Grey Ghost is going through all those reels of the old episodes and we see the titles on them, you know, use those for the titles of episodes. Yeah. You know, you could, and then, again, you're just tying it all together so we could end up feeling like a young Bruce Wayne. We could experience what he was experiencing. And, hell, you know what? One of them would have to be the Mad Bomber. Bomber. You'd yes. have to, that, hell, that would have to be the very first one they did. That would have to be the pilot. Ooh, I, don't, I don't know about that because uh, the Mad Bomber, you know, this was episode 18, and this was episode 18. That's true. The Batman series. That's, so. that's, that's true. I did forget about that. You are right. So maybe their first episode could parallel somehow, like, on Leather Wings. No, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe they don't want their episodes to parallel the Batman ones, but it would be neat if now and again they did, like, they did kind of parallel what happened in Batman the Animated Series, so you could see that Bruce drew his inspiration from the cartoon. Because there's a couple of points early on in this episode where they'll show the Grey Ghost doing something, and then they'll show Batman doing the exact same thing, the exact same movements. Right. So if they could just do little things where you have, you know, astute viewers like us would pick it up and go, oh, Batman did that exact thing in On Leather Wings. He threw that exact punch or kick. And, you know, and, but people who haven't watched Batman Animated Series or haven't watched it in a long time, they wouldn't really be missing anything. They could still have fun and enjoy the episode, but we would get it on a much deeper level. I don't know. I, I really should start some sort of petition for a Grey Ghost cartoon. That, that's, or... You know what would be really cool? There's some people that use this podcasting medium to, to to bring back the old radio dramas, like the old Superman radio drama, you know? It, yeah. You know, it'd be cool. Granted, I don't have the time and the resources to do this, but it'd be cool to see maybe a, a Grey Ghost uh, radio show slash podcast. If there's anybody out there 
who would like to produce something like that, I'll help you in any way I can. Granted, I'm not going to be a voice actor. That's not my thing. But I'll help you host it. I'll help you produce it. I'll help you edit it. Whatever you need. If you want to produce a Grey Ghost you know, radio show slash podcast, I'll, I will help you any way I can. I mean that. So, but anyways... Anyways, um, back to back to this episode. I really like seeing the young Bruce Wayne um, mm-hmm. because it adds so much to his mythos. Because you see that, yes, he once was a child who could just sit there and enjoy TV and just enjoy himself by playing with toys and dressing up as a child should. And it also explains, more so than him having seen Zorro, why he would dress up like a giant freaking bat after, you know, 20 years or so after his parents died. Let's see what else do I what do I have here? The Alfred's, uh, you know, he's he's he doesn't have many lines in this one, but if you notice him when he's in the background when they're in that uh, video archive, mm-hmm. he is just spot on. He doesn't have a single line while they're in that archive, and he's just sitting there doing little gags. He like pulls out a hanky and starts just dusting the counter, the counter yeah. and it's like that is awesome. That is awesome. They didn't have. You know, again, I'm going to keep saying this and saying this and saying this. This is so different than every other cartoon out there because every other cartoon would ignore the characters in the background or they have them do some sort of pratfall to get a gag when what was happening in the forefront maybe wasn't exactly funny. But no, this cartoon goes, no, we're just going to have Alfred silently pull out his hanky and dust off this the, this countertop. Well, it's like, well, it's like in uh, acting on a stage. If you're on stage, no matter how many people are on the stage, somebody's going to be looking at you in that audience. So you uh, might as well be doing something. So that's kind of like a little minor parallel there. Mm-hmm. So you figure you might as well be having the character doing something. Right, right. And Alfred did it very well. Mm-hmm. Now, despite everything, I do have a couple of gripes. Specifically, why is Batman so damn hard on Simon Trent? Like, when... Okay, they, they meet on the street, and then Trent runs away when that building blows up, and Batman then goes back to Trent's apartment and just kind of hides out in the dark until Trent comes back. Well, when you know they have their little conversation, and Trent gives him the, the reel for the original Mad Bomber episode, and he's like, now just go away, just leave me alone. And Batman turns around, and he's, he says something to the effect of, I used to idolize the Grey Ghost, but now I see he's just a man. It's well, a- no, he, it was... Uh- he said, uh, Simon Trent says, I'm not the great ghost. And he says, I can see that now. Right. It's like, what the hell crawled up Batman's ass? He is such a prick in this episode. At least the first half of this episode. Once, you know, Trent kind of steps up to the plate and actually dons, dons the costume and tries to become a hero, Batman lightens up on him a little. But what exactly was Batman's problem here? Did I, did I miss something? Did, wh- wh- I don't what is anything. going on? <laughs> Because he is harsh on him. I'm, I'm right. He is being harsh on him, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I just don't get that. And my, my other kind of gripe with this is when Trent goes to meet Batman in that back alley, remember he gets the note saying, blah, 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 come meet me, and he signed a friend. Why mm-hmm. does Trent bring the Grey Ghost costume with him? He's got yeah, it in the box, it. and he's got it under his arm the whole time. It's like... What was the point of bringing the costume? If he truly was just an actor, if it was just a part, he was never a superhero, why did he bring it? That just doesn't make sense to me, and it never did. Even as a kid, when I first saw this, I was like, what the hell does he have the costume for? Oh, how, how do remote-control cars keep up with the Batmobile? Yeah, that's another thing. It's like, okay, now granted, I don't know how fast the Batmobile can go, but there's no way an RC car is going to no. keep up with that turbine-powered 
you know, beast that is the Batmobile. You know, that, that, yeah, again, that, that's another thing where you have to look at it and go, man, it loses a point because of that. But speaking of the RC cars, Batman's reaction to them is priceless. How he just, like, basically raises an eyebrow, if he can do that, in his mask, and he says, you've got to be kidding me. Like, when he realizes what's going on, it's because it's the same thing we're thinking. Like, RC cars? Really? That's how the bombs are being delivered? Now, granted, this isn't the first time we've seen something like that, uh, because of that movie uh, Deadpool with Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. Bombs are delivered in that movie via RC cars, so this idea wasn't exactly original. But at the same time, it still does make you sit up and go, wait, what? (laughs) So the fact that Batman is experiencing shock, because him being the world's greatest detective should never be surprised by anything, the fact that he was surprised by this is, is humorous, quite humorous, I might add. And I don't know how I feel about Trent putting on the costume and then teaming up with Batman. How do you feel about that? Because, again, he's insisting the whole time, I'm just an actor. It was a part I played. But then he decides to... Well, it's it's like a crisis of conscience, I think. Okay. It just finally overcame Trent. And, you know, and I can, I can understand that. I can give that a pass there. Uh, and... You know, Batman lets him into the Batcave. Yeah. So that, I mean, that is a sign of respect right there. See, because for me, I think it's silly to see this, you know, aging actor put on this costume that probably really wouldn't fit anymore and (laughs) team up with the Batman to to go stop this mad bomber. It always has to be said like that. Remember, mad bomber. Bomber. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it somehow works. It just works in this universe. If... Anywhere else, you know, if this were like a live action show, I don't think it would have worked. But somehow, because it is an animated series, because of the universe that is around it, it just somehow works, but it's definitely silly. You know, here's another, I forgot, I had another gripe written down about this episode. Batman spilling that oil all over the street when the RC cars are chasing him is beyond reckless. Okay, you cannot tell me that he knew that every single one of those RC cars would go flying off into an abandoned building. You can't tell me he knew that. Again, another example of people had to have died. Remember, very early on, I think it might have been in On Leather Wings, when I said that building exploded, and you know those cops got blown up. I'm sorry, people died when Batman was escaping those RC cars. People were died or got seriously injured, and I understand they can't really address it in the cartoon, but it's it's definitely reckless on his part, and it does bother me that the producers couldn't find another way for Batman to destroy or dodge those those cars that were chasing him. Yeah, I agree. Furthermore, on that, it, Batman just busts out of the door of a library with a flamethrower. <laughs> Did you not laugh when you saw that? I laugh every time I see that because that is the most absurd thing in the world. It's like, I I can't even put my thoughts into, into words besides just constantly repeating absurd, absurd, absurd. But again, in this universe, it kind of works. You know, I don't know why he wouldn't have something else, why he couldn't just throw like a batarang. Or why he just couldn't trust the snipers. Because the snipers do get one of the cars. Yeah, I believe so. That's what I thought. But whatever, it's Batman. You know, we've seen him pull some weird crap out of his belt, so maybe he's got a a, a fold-up flamethrower in there. I don't know. I don't know. It's silly. It's absolutely (laughs) silly. And I do wish there was a commentary on this episode, because I don't think there is, so Tim and Deanie and that whole crew could kind of explain where Batman got that flamethrower. Maybe they could just say... 
oh, yeah, there's a scene that got cut for, for sake of time, and we couldn't explain it. You just kind of have to go with the flow. But, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a little... Uh, it makes you scratch your head and go, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. If I remember correctly, I believe that shot was also used in a lot of promos for the show. The flamethrower? I'm almost positive it was used in, a, in many commercials for... Seems like something I should remember, but I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, but I, I could be wrong. I guess some more minor quibbles I have with this is that the Mad Bomber turns out to be the guy who owns the antique toy shop. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, what, what, what's wrong? I hated that guy. Why do you hate I, that guy? He was the most, one of the most annoying characters to date. Oh, he's definitely an annoying villain, but the collector in me feels for him when he's crying at the end, when his whole oh. building has been blown up, and he's like, my toys, well, my wonderful toys. Then uh, maybe he should have, shouldn't have have gone all mad bummer <laughs> on everybody. Yeah. I'd have more sympathy for him. Oh, right, right. I don't, have a, I don't have a ton of sympathy for him, but like I said, there's a part of me that goes, ooh. You know, like if my comics, yeah. knock on wood, if my comics went up in flames, I'd be like, my comics, my comics. So I could see where he's coming from. But he did bring it upon himself. You know, yes, that he would, did. That, I mean, I'm not a smoker, but that would be me, like, you know, falling asleep with a cigarette in my hand, and the house goes up in flames, and I lose my comics. Well, it was my own stupidity that caused it. But anyways, getting back to what I was going to say, he's doing this whole thing to make money. He wants to extort a million dollars from the city, right? But that yeah. whole setup he has had to cost him like a couple of hundred thousand, if not a million dollars. It's like, dude, if you didn't build that stupid setup to control the RC cars and, and wreak terror on everybody, you wouldn't need the million dollars to begin with because you'd already have it. That's a little irksome. I wish his setup would have been a little more uh, hodgepodge together. It didn't look as high-tech as it does. I mean, you've seen that picture of Iron Man in, in his armor for the upcoming movie where he's all hodgepodge. Yeah. That's how he wished his setup would have looked. I mean, it was just like a TV monitor here and like a flight simulator joystick here, maybe a couple other smaller TVs because so he could see every car, but not some like setup that belonged in like a television studio. And Batman has like a really cold line in here where he's like, time to put your toys away, little man. It's like, dude, like, in this whole episode, he's just picking on everybody. He's picking on Simon Trent. He's picking on this 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 guy who's well, obviously got some sort of problem. You can kind of understand the coldness towards a bomber. Oh no, trust me, bomber. I can I can understand it, but he is like harsh just towards everybody in this episode. I mean, if Robin were in this episode, I'd expect him to start smacking the boy around. Be like, boy, and just smack him right in the face. Be like, you you did something wrong. You didn't listen to me. Smack him that. Um, Simon Trent doing like a flip. Out of nowhere, again, a minor quibble. Like when they come. Ooh, I didn't. I don't think I caught that. Yeah, honestly, when they are invading the building, Batman goes in first, and then Simon Trent comes in second as the Gray Ghost. He lands on something. It might be the bomber himself, or it might be a bookshelf. And then he does like a midair somersault. It's like, no, you're sixty years old. Sorry, you're yeah, not no. gonna be doing that. So again, just, just minor quibbles to just kind of take away from it a little. But overall, this is just easily, in my opinion, one of the best episodes out there. And I said it at the beginning, and I'm going to say it right now, and it's all due to Adam West. Now, growing up, I watched the the reruns of the Batman TV show, as I assume you probably did too, right, James? Yeah, a few here and there until I got sick of it. And that's the thing. As I was growing up, I'm like, I started realizing how campy it was and all the damage it really did do to the comic industry that lasts even till today. Yeah. And I put a lot of that blame on West himself 
but it wasn't necessarily his fault. It was the producers for writing it that way. But after seeing this episode and realizing that he could really be a dramatic actor if he chose to be, I gained a whole new respect for him. And, like I said, that that is what makes this episode great, in my opinion. It's just him and his performance. And, I mean, everything else. The animation in this one is great, as you said. The color is beautiful. The music, especially the, the music whenever Simon Trent is alone, just kind of sobbing. I mean, that yeah. just pulls at the old heartstrings. It all comes together to create, in my opinion, one of the top, I would say, in my opinion, probably one of the top three episodes. Okay, our next episode is Prophecy of Doom. And basically here, uh, Bruce Wayne becomes... Uh, sort of alarmed when some of his rich friends are, I guess, more or less seduced into joining this quote-unquote brotherhood by a guy named Nostromos, who is uh, known to us, the audience, of course, as a fraudulent psychic. And this guy, Nostromos, uses uh, fear, uh, predictions of uh, terrible events to scam people out of money so they can join and be saved. And... uh, the daughter of one of his of Wayne's friends, who Bruce happens to be dating, uh, is another one who distrusts these, these this guy Nostromos and his little, I guess his little lackey that jo- joins along with him. And yeah, so Bruce joins the Brotherhood to debunk the guy and his claims. And yeah, that's about it. Now, there's my first question: Is Bruce dating Lisa? I think so. Because it seems like he is. It's like, like I'll watch this episode. Like I watched this episode twice in preparation for this show. First, I mm-hmm. watched it, and then I watched it taking notes. So I just watched it for my enjoyment, and I use the term enjoyment loosely with this episode. <laughs> so, and the first time I, I rewatched it, I, I thought they might have been dating, but then the second time I started thinking, you know, she looks a little younger. And he's never really romantic towards her. Like, he does take her to her car after the scene in the restaurant. Yeah, that's what I think that's what made me think that they were dating. Right, but he never kisses her. He never, like, touches her hand, gives her a hug, as far as I can remember. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of affection towards her. I, 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 I kind of flip-flop on, on this one. And as I'm looking at the wiki page, I just realized that was Heather Locklear. Yes, it is. I had no idea. So, I'm sorry. Uh, why don't you keep going on about this one? Eh, this is not your prototypical Batman-esque storyline, shall we say. It, it was This whole episode is just overly flamboyant, and it was never... It doesn't seem like it was ever meant to be taken seriously at any level until uh, Lisa, the girl, is in danger of being sawed in half. So, it, it was... It's really very much like a Penn and Teller bullshit episode. <laughs> like, about con artist psychics. Like, the guy... Because the guy, Nostromos, says stuff like, I rejoice in your soaring consciousness. Mm, yeah. <laughs> just stuff like that that has, has no meaning at all. Yeah. And, but, and Bruce but, reacts to it accordingly. He's like, wait, what does that mean? Like, I honestly... Oh, no, get, this is deep. <laughs> this is so deep. <laughs> Bruce's sarcasm in this one is so awesome. 
Oh yeah, he, it's like he's channeling Alfred. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like they took Alfred, they wrote lines for Alfred, and then changed it around so they were Bruce's. I mean, that whole point where he's like, "Psychic vibrations, Alfred." Yeah. But he's explaining why the glass broke. That's easily my favorite part of this episode. Is just his the sarcasm he shows in this and the fun he's having with Alfred. That's not a sight of Batman. You see that often, and no. y- you know. I, it, it was it's very you know even though this episode wasn't great and I think it was like a little better than average, um, it, it's those lines I think that made it a little better than average. Just when yeah, he's this, sitting there, his I'm sorry. his sarcasm saved it. Yeah, definitely. From being a, a being a below five for me. Oh. I'll get to my grade later, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the animation is subpar to say the least. Oh, I meant to say this when we were talking about the sarcasm. <laughs> like when what, I don't remember who it was in the audience was just uh, explaining it to. Uh, Bruce, maybe it was the guy, uh, Ethan, his friend, uh, was explain- explained it, something that Nostromos was saying. He was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bruce, Bruce really turns on, or I should say maybe Batman, since Bruce is the mask of Batman, you know. Batman really turns on that Bruce Wayne kind of oafishness that, that he has. I don't know if oafishness is the right word, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. You know, Bruce is supposed to be bumbling, and he doesn't always get it. He really turns it up to, like, not 11. He turns it up to about 12 or 13 in this yeah. one. And it, it works to his disadvantage, too, because, you know, he realizes to, to get more clues, he has to go into the Brotherhood, and Lisa catches him doing that, and now she thinks... He, he can't explain to her what he's doing. No, he can't. He can't be like, oh, hey, honey, I'm Batman, you know, and I'm infiltrating this group. He can't do that. So if they were dating, it probably hurt their relationship, because now she thinks he's going to fall for anything, and he's greedy because he's trying to save his money. But he kind of lets that slip at the very end there when he starts quoting Shakespeare. I was like, well, the airhead facade was working really well, but uh, why are you quoting Julius Caesar? My biggest complaint with this one really is, okay, Bruce Wayne goes into the elevator, Batman comes out. Tell me someone, some, yeah. someone had I to don't... catch that, and frankly, when did he have time to put on the damn costume? He was falling uh... like 10 stories a second or however fast an elevator's going to fall, but he has time to put on the costume. So he can get out. No, unless he had it on under his business suit. Oh no! Uh, I, granted, I, he might have, but why even bother taking the clothes off? I would have really liked to have seen him use the grappling gun. In as his, Bruce as Wayne. As Bruce Wayne. Um, yes. There was a, there was a pretty recent I- issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and you know Spider-Man during that Civil War event, he came out. That people know he's Peter Parker now. Well. In, in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I think it was 539, it could have been 538, but I think it was 539, he gets really pissed off at something that happened. I won't spoil it for anybody. But he goes out and he starts kicking people's asses without his mask. No costume, no mask, no nothing. It's just Peter Parker in his street clothes beating the shit out of people. And I would like to have seen Bruce Wayne kind of do the same thing, you know, where he just goes out of the elevator in his suit. And then afterwards, he could have put on his costume when he was chasing Lucas. I think it was Lucas. No, Lucas? The, uh, yeah, Lucas, the assistant. Right-hand right. man, yeah. When he was chasing him across the, the rooftops. That's when he should have put the costume on. Not with the elevator thing, because someone has got... That was just so stupid. Like I said earlier, this none of, nothing in this episode made me think that they were trying to take themselves seriously. Like the goldfish bowl in the boat, rocking back and forth. The very obvious-looking Titanic boat. So you're right, they're not trying to, to take themselves seriously, but they could have done so much, a little more with this. 
at the same time, and this might sound contradictory, and if it does, whatever, I kind of think, remember how we had that letter uh, an episode or two back that said, you know, for every deep episode, there kind of has to be an episode that brings it down a notch, and it's just supposed to be fun, and not, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of did a good job at that. It's just setting yeah, up the whole time that this is going to be cartoony and, you know, it's not Beware of the Grey Ghost, it's not On Leather Wings, it's not Dark, it's just supposed to, again, except for the back half where Lisa's, you know, almost murdered. Yeah. You know, for the most part, it's just it's supposed to be like this fun, kind of like, let's just take a breather episode. And I think, despite my complaints, it did a decent job at that. If you look at it that way, what do you think? No, that, I agree with that, okay. definitely. Uh, and it's certainly a better job than uh, I've got Batman in my basement. Yes, yes it did. <laughs> One thing I thank this episode for, it finally pronounced a word for me that I've known for years, uh, but have never known how to pronounce it, uh, proselytize. I've never known how to pronounce that word. I thank this, thank this episode for that. <laughs> another thing, another little bit I'll give this episode is I really think this is a really, really good scheme. Pretending to be a psychic and then causing the accidents that you predicted to get money out of people? I like that scheme. Now, they didn't execute it that well in this, and Nostromos' turn at the end was really like, oh, you won't sign the papers? Okay, I kidnapped your daughter. It, it could have it been done better, but the scheme itself, that's that's pretty good. I, you know, I'd like to see... Uh, another writer, be it in cartoon form, TV form, movie form, book form, wherever, kind of explore that. I don't know. I don't know. It works for me. I don't, I don't know about yeah, you. I th- actually, I, I, it seems to me like I've seen this storyline in another TV show, oh, and really? I don't know what it would be. Huh? I, I, I could almost swear, but I don't know for sure. Maybe our listeners know. I don't. Yes, please help us out. Yeah. Oh, and that Batarang, when Batman throws it in the back of Lucas's knee, holy God! Like, he just whips the thing at that guy. I... That is one of those moments where, okay, remember how in uh, See No Evil, Batman just beats the piss out of that mm-hmm. out of that guy. You know, this isn't that bad, but it was one of those moments where I still had to cringe and go, "God damn, that had to hurt." <laughs> you know, just just any shot to the back of the knee is going to hurt you, and then a batarang you take to the back of the knee, oof, oof, oof. Uh, we were talking about how the animation in this one wasn't that great, but the one yeah. moment it did have animation wise was the fight up in the rafters with the light shining down. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's, I liked that. What I liked about that is how instead of using darkness to Batman's advantage, they were using light to Batman's advantage. You know, and he's coming down, you just see the outline of the cape, and I thought that was really... It was a different take on, on the way we see Batman, because he's always lurking you know, in, a, in an alleyway or on a rooftop, but this way he's like in plain sight, but he's still in darkness at the same time because of the way the yeah, light I- is shining off of him and... and Casting the shadows, and then the way this. Then they revisit it later in a couple episodes too. Do they? Uh, in uh, Killer Croc episode, Vendetta, they do, he does that. Oh, when he throws the, uh, he he like shoots it. What's he do? He does. I remember he, he throws does, that thing into the into the wall of the sewer and blinds Croc. Right, because I remember he puts on like in the mask. Those little goggles come down. Mm-hmm. Right, I forgot they did the same thing in that. You are right. Anything else about this one? No, I don't think so.
Next will be Feet of Clay, which, before I get into the synopsis, I should say was co-written by Marv Wolfman, who is uh, a longtime comic book writer. He's a very influential comic book writer, so it was really cool to see uh, Tim and Dini and that whole crew bring him in to, to co-write this episode. But, anyways, to the, to the episode itself, this is really the origin of Clayface. Um, Matt Hagen is this, this was supposed to be, you know, like this big time actor who suffered some accident. Now, we're never told what the accident was. Were we? Was it a train wreck? I don't know. Did they I, say? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember for certain. But his face has been utterly destroyed. I mean, it is scarred up just beyond belief. And he has, uh, fallen to the services of Roland Daggett. Um, and is this the first time we've seen Daggett too, right? Yes. And Daggett is kind of like this, uh rival of of Bruce Wayne's in the business world, except he's, you know, ultra shady, pure evil, and he almost he almost doesn't even hide his his deviousness. Um, well regardless, he's uh, contracted Hagen to pull these these jobs for him and uh Hagen's payment is this cream that he can put on his face and it basically turns his face into putty. Uh, I think it's called Renew You, right? Yeah. And this Renew You, he puts it on his face, it turns it into putty, and he can shape it into into his old face. But he can also shape it into other people's faces. And what he does in the beginning of this is he makes himself look like Bruce Wayne because they're trying to get some papers from uh, Lucius Fox. And uh, when they get those papers from Lucius, they then attempt to kill him, and Lucius survives which kind of works to their favor because then he confess, you know, it, right before he uh, passes out and falls into a coma, he tells the police Bruce Wayne. So they're all going. The cops are going after Bruce Wayne, thinking he attempted to kill Lucius. So Batman gets involved because he has to clear his, you know, secret identity's name, if that makes sense. There, and then uh, where does it go from there, James? It's how does how does uh, Hagen get in trouble with Daggett? It's because they didn't kill Fox, right? Yeah, it's because the scheme did not go off without a hitch, See, now, uh, so to speak. I didn't. Uh, I didn't fully. Batman interfered. I didn't fully understand that. Maybe. Maybe I did miss something here. The the fact that Fox lived actually worked to their advantage because it put the blame solely on Bruce Wayne. It means Lucius had a name to rattle off. Had Lucius just died, there would have been no blame on Bruce Wayne at all. Well, I think. Uh, it's because they didn't get the papers. Oh, that's when, right. I forgot when, they didn't get the papers. Yeah, when Fox collapses, I think he collapses on the briefcase, yep. which the handle broke off of. So because of Hagen's blunder, Daggett sends his men after Hagen, but, or no, he's about to, or no, the men suggest, hey, how about we go get him? And he's like, no, he'll come to us because that the only place Hagen can get this cream, which happens to be addictive, is from Daggett himself. So when Hagen shows up to get the cream, the henchmen are there, and instead of uh, shooting him in the face like they normally would, they just drown him in the Renew You, which saturate all his cells and turns him into this giant walking pile of ooze that just looks like crap. It actually it looks so disgusting. Um that becomes Clayface, and then Clayface goes on to try to get revenge on Daggett. And this is another instance of a villain actually being right. I mean, Hagen isn't the most stand-up guy in the world. No, and, and in, you know, in future, in the future, they, you know, he kind of seems to have a lot of other criminal thought processes, like later on. But in this one, you can almost justify his actions, like what happened to Mr. Freeze. Um, I've rambled long enough. First thought is, I find it shocking not at all that uh, 
Ed Asner, who is like an ultra-socialist voice, is a corrupt businessman. He must have had a lot of fun with that. So, And, you know, he comes back in uh, Appointment in Crime Alley as Daggett. So, yeah. uh, same thing, just ultra-evil. ultra, ultra evil. No, Nothing good to be said about him. And as a character, it's great. You know, it's a great character. Yeah. Right? But, but I'm just saying, it doesn't shock me that he would do that voice. <laughs> uh, and it, the animation was... Oh my god, it was so great! Yeah, I mean, just they really hit a home run with this with all the morphing mm-hmm. animation, especially uh, especially that last scene in the control room. Or not the last oh, scene, man. but it's one of the last scenes where he's just yeah. bang, 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 just changing from one. That to was the almost next. scary. Yeah, that is that is very scary. It, it's so scary they even animated Batman being creeped out by the thing. And again, Batman, as I said earlier, who should never be surprised by anything, should never really be scared by anything but he's clearly freaked out by what's going on because he doesn't face things like this. Yes, he has a you know, man-bat in his past, but something like Hagen, Batman is relatively new to that. Normally, he's just got nutcases, like the Joker and Two-Face, and to a lesser extent, the Riddler and the Mad Hatter, who we'll be getting to shortly. It's really cool that they showed him being freaked out by this thing. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I like that uh, the episode name, Feet of Clay, mm-hmm. it's a really great play on words there, and... Uh, I, I think it's from the Bible, isn't it? Or like it's kind of partly from the Bible. Thou, O King, sawest and behold a great image. His feet part of iron and part of clay, so forth and so on. You're asking uh, the wrong guy. I yeah, have, no, we're both atheists. I so. have no clue. <laughs> now, but I, but I, I, that's the thing with the with me and the Bible. I know it's it's not it shouldn't be taken literally, in my opinion. But it, I respect the literary value of it. Oh, absolutely, I have. You know, I, I have said it. You know, on Earth Two the show, I am a hardcore atheist. I mean, hardcore. But I still have a Bible, and for the same reason that you just said right there, it has great literary value. It's great for fables and archetypes and things like that. So, you know, but I've never like studied it to the point where I could rattle off no, a quote as you just did. I mean, you've you've read it more than I have. At the very least, you're able to recognize that's from the Bible and then actually quote from it. Where I'm just like. I don't know. <laughs> well, Wikipedia is our friend. Too, ah, so. that is true. That is true. I, I, yes. <laughs> oh man, I really don't have a lot of notes written for this episode because I I, I watched it uh, when I was really tired. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but uh, but yeah, it's but it's one of those episodes where you just you sit back and watch it because it's so engrossing. Mm-hmm. Just the the way he becomes Clayface is so grotesque, mm-hmm. and what he becomes is is just horrible. Yeah, because no matter what anybody says, that's an on-screen murder we witnessed. Yes, know? it is. And one of the earliest, it might have been the earliest episode of uh, World's Finest Podcast, you had made a reference to you know the fact that we don't see anybody die on screen. In fact, it was, because we were talking about on leather wings and that building exploding, and me saying mm-hmm. those cops clearly died. And you said, that's true, but we don't see anybody die on screen. Well... This episode, Hagen's being murdered on screen. This ain't him being shot at and being able to dodge the bullets. This is, he is being smothered in that stuff. Now, granted, he does live, but that's an on-screen murder. But the intent murder. was there. Yeah. And granted, you know, we see it in the shadows. We never actually, we don't see it. Maybe that's how they got away with it, was because it was all shadowed. Yeah. I don't Because I, I would think, just watching, even in the shadows, that was just creepy yeah. to watch this guy drowning in this disgusting ooze mm-hmm. and you can i think you can hear him just gurgling the 
the crap out of his throat. I think I, 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 I can't comment on that, but I know he's like saying, no, no, you know, he's he's clearly not wanting this, and I don't know who yeah. wants to be mar- you know b- buried in some sort of you know chemical, chemical makeup. Yeah, search. no one wants that, but he, he's clearly suffering from what's happening. Um, of course. You know, you know. We'll go back to talking about the voices. Ron Perlman's Clayface. I never realized that. And he he does the voice of Clayface in every other uh, show or episode of this series and in Justice League. Clayface pops up in Justice League. Yeah, in the uh, Secret Society episode, with where Gorilla Grodd pits the league against each other by screwing with their minds. I don't remember that. I'll have to take your word for that. Wow, I, I had no idea. I thought after you know Gotham Knights, New Adventures of Batman, or whatever that one's called, I thought that was it for Clayface. Yeah, actually, and Clayface is the last member to join their little society. Oh, Gorilla Grodd kind of entices him oh. to join. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. But yeah, and he was actually a central part of that episode too. Oh, so to, it was really cool. I'll have to sit down and watch that one maybe over this weekend. Um. So let's see. Uh, you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying here. You know, this episode's engrossing. The animation is wonderful. Um, it, it's it's one of those episodes where it's so good. I find myself at a loss of words what to say about it. If that makes any yeah, sort of that's sense. Yeah, exactly how I feel. Um, that's not to say I don't have notes. <laughs> but when it comes to like just saying things off the top of my head, I'm I'm, I'm definitely at a loss for words. There's there's a couple of odd things in this episode though that I that I had to ask you. Batman, maybe I shouldn't take this line literally, but Batman punches one of the thugs, and then later on he's in the Batcave at the Batcomputer, and he says something to the effect of, "I know my fist has landed on that chin before." Now, are we supposed to take that literally that Batman is able to remember a face by punching it, or is he just being kind of like, "Hey, I recognize the face, and I know I've apprehended this guy before." Yeah, I think the la- I'm definitely going with the latter. Okay, because it's it's Batman. You never know. You know, he's got, <laughs> he's got so many skills and skills with a Z, of course, that maybe he can remember a face by you know the, the by punching it. You know, it's Batman. You never know what the guy can do. Well, he does have a photographic memory. Like I said, I knew I was probably taking it literally, but it was one of those lines where I had to go, wait, what did he just say? Did he mean that? What? <laughs> what? Um, let's see. Oh, when Batman is interrogating that dude on the, uh, with, the, with the Batwing or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God! <laughs> that was a new just dimension of wow. <laughs> like, okay, there's... You could almost say that Batman the Animated Series and the Justice League cartoons don't exist in the same universe. I mean, granted, they are in the same universe, but based on style and the design of Batman later on, and even Batman's kind of attitude, there, there's, a cle- there's a difference between what, what, we, what we're seeing now and what we'll be seeing in the future when we get to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Because um, if you look at the Justice League Unlimited episode, or Justice League and Justice League Unlimited episodes, there's several times where Batman nearly kills himself to save the day. Where he goes yeah. a little too far, he's a lot darker. Well, this is the episode, in my opinion, that really bridges the gap. Because Batman goes way too far when he's interrogating that guy. Well, it's because it's so personal. Right, so. right. I, I understand it is, but it's still... But yeah, for me, it serves as a bridge. Because you can see that darker attitude here. Now, granted, we're talking about Batman. He's always got a darker attitude. Or at least the modern mm-hmm. Batman does. But, you know, uh, up till this point... Um, I can't recall him doing anything quite this drastic. It makes me wonder why the police don't go after Batman for what he did to that guy. He drops the guy in the pool from, like, 
like 500 feet in the air. He just lets him go. Yeah, seriously. If he misses by 10 feet either way, he's, he's a splatter on the concrete either below the building or by, by the pool. You know, first he tortures this guy, then he drops him out of nowhere, and the police go after him. Granted, he's a criminal that should go after him, but Batman just dropped this guy a couple of hundred freaking feet. You know, granted, their helicopters really can't chase the jet, but they can at least try to get the guy. You know, yes, I understand it's personal for Batman here. Bruce Wayne was framed for an attempted murder, but my God. No, I'm not. I'm not no, 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 I know. I'm just saying, it's like, dude, Batman, chill out. <laughs> just chill. You know, you're not supposed to be trying to kill people, and you just tried to kill that guy. And now, here's a question. Now, remember in See No Evil, we spoke about how it's never said, but it's very clear that Kimmy's father was a child molester. You can tell. Right. Now, my question about this episode is, are Hagen and his assistant gay? I couldn't tell you, although I kind of thought the same thing there at one point. They, and if Hagen's not, I mean, granted, in future episodes, Hagen does kind of have that girl. But she kind of has a, more of a thing for him than he does for her. I forget that. I forget the name of that episode. But do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I don't. I I don't know. I honestly don't know who you're talking about. There's a future episode, yeah, where Clayface is found by a woman, and she nurses him back to health. She creates that like plastic oh no for him. yeah now I know what now, you're talking granted, about. Yeah, I know what you're talking she about. is more hot for him than he is for her. She she actually thinks that his movie roles are like like his real persona. You know, she, mm-hmm. she's, she's a little deranged in that regard. Um, but he kind of strings her along a little, if I remember correctly. But that doesn't mean he can't be maybe at least bi. But I, I really think there's something going on between him and his assistant. I'm not trying to be cute at all. I'm not joking about, oh, my God, the gays. I'm not yeah. doing that. I mean, I really think they were trying to hint at something. And if Hagen, at the very least, wasn't you know, attracted to um, his stand-in here, uh, what was his name, was it Teddy? Teddy, yeah. Then Teddy definitely had a thing for Hagen. I mean, he, you could tell he, he, he it's, it's not just, you know, this isn't his, you know, the actor he stands in for, this isn't just his friend, he definitely cares about this guy on a much deeper level than, like, a friend would care well, for another friend, at least in my opinion. Well, at one point, though, I think, I guess it was in the first episode, he seemed to be, to me anyway, he just seemed to be more, uh, that his M.O. was that he wanted to protect his career. That's just what it seemed like to me. That's the inflection that I got from that. You're talking about Teddy. uh, Yeah, Teddy. It seemed like he was, he was like scared, oh my God, I'm going to be out of a job if I can't stand in for uh, Hagen. You know, there's, there's... At first, at first, at the very mm-hmm. least, I, I, that's the definite inflection I got. I mean, there, there's some validity to that, but the more the episode goes on, it starts to look like they're in an abusive relationship. You know, later on, after he's turned into Clayface, they're at a house or an apartment. They're no longer in the trailer, and Teddy comes out with that tray. Clayface flips on him, and he starts smashing shit up. And, I mean, that's like, that right there, you look at that, that is clearly an abusive relationship going on. Yeah, it's like... Well, and I use this term loosely, battered wife syndrome. That is exactly what I felt was going on. And I think, I don't know if I should call it a subtle clue or not, but definitely a clue is the fact that Teddy is always wearing a pink shirt, which, of course, pink means feminine. You know, Mm -hmm. I I really think the producers were, were saying, you know, this is our subtle way of telling you there's more going on here than you think. And it kind of makes the ending, in my opinion, much more tragic. 
You know, because Teddy's standing outside looking at the hospital, mourning the loss of his friend, possibly lover. It adds a whole new element if you think they're lovers and you're like, oh, man, because everybody's lost uh, a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, not necessarily one that's died. But we've all been in relationships, you know, we've all broken up and we lost people. And if you think that's what he's thinking, it changes what's going on in that end scene. But, again, I could be wrong. I could just be reading into it. There you go. Uh, you bring up the points there, definitely. I just think at the beginning, though, it seemed to me I, it, that he was more worried about his career. But, yeah, as it, did go, as it goes along, yeah, it definitely was more like a battered wife syndrome. Okay, now that we got that seriousness out of uh, out of the way, um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of think, using terms yeah. loosely, um, there, there were there were a couple of things in this episode that I, I I again I've said it before. I don't know how they got away with when Batman and Clayface are fighting. Batman shoves them into that room, and Hagen's arms come and just get ripped off. Now, granted, I understand he's a clay guy; he can regrow them. But at the same time, we just saw a guy's arms get ripped off. I mean, am I am I wrong for kind of freaking out about that? No, not not necessarily. But like you said, I think it it because you know it's just a big. It looks like a big pile of mud. So I mean, I it, I didn't really take it too seriously. So. Well, no, because what I'm getting at is that's just there's <laughs> you know if, if you go online and you you know you read about the episodes and whatnot, you'll you'll find interviews with the producers talking about like weird things that the censors took issue with, but they don't take issue with a guy's arms falling off. Now again, it might be because he's a quote unquote monster. He's no longer human. It doesn't matter. He can regrow them. You know, hell, I was watching an episode of SpongeBob a while back where he took off his arm over like two dozen times. It, it, it kind of makes me wonder what this is sense, what the censors are looking at and what they're not looking at. And I would love to see the censors' guidelines saying, okay, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, and you can't do this, this, and this. And I'd love to see the disparity between the two. Like, okay, we can't show a guy get shot, obviously, but we can show a guy getting drowned in some sort of muck. Like, how does that work? See, that's why I understand why there's an, uh, an FCC at all anyway, but that's... But I won't even get into that. That's just my personal opinion. Um, let's uh, going back to the the final morphing of of Hagen or Clayface, whatever you want to call him, while they're in the control room, and he's going insane. That, in my opinion, is easily the best animation of the entire series. They, I don't think, I don't Definitely. think they ever got to that level again. And during that change, there's one point where I would swear that Clayface looked like Metamorpho. Who we, we would end up seeing in the Justice League in a, you know, and I tried to pay close attention to that because I think oh they're gonna they're gonna do something here they're gonna put a face in there that uh, that geeks like us should uh-huh. know about but I, I don't think I saw it that it wasn't so much the face it was more the color scheme at one point he's like white and pink those are Metamorpho's colors I think he's pink orange white there might be one more color I'm not remembering right now I'm not a huge Metamorpho fan I mean it's a that's a really obscure character. Um, but these guys who are creating this show, they're freaking geeks. They are hardcore geeks. So they would throw Metamorpho in there. And even if it, you know, it didn't look like Metamorpho, it wasn't his face, I still think the color scheme during that one change was on purpose. S- you know, so you get the hardcore DC geeks going, hey, 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 look, 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 look what we just saw. Yeah, because Metamorpho and Clayface basically have the same powers. So again, it would make sense for him to look like him, look like him for just a half a second. 
Another one of my favorite scenes in this episode is when Batman has germs in that ro- in the uh, room with all the samples. <laughs> yes. Oh man! Again, just you know, what's is this the first time we've seen Batman use psychological terror on someone? You know, he's beating people up. He sidestepped them to let them basically beat themselves up. You know, and we did see him torture the guy with the plane. Maybe that counts. But this, this was a I little. I want to say we that. have. Yeah, I want to say we have, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Because this, but this was it was great. Yeah, because it goes back punching the wall. It goes back to the whole thing that Batman says about criminals being a cowardly and superstitious lot. Germs mm-hmm. is like the the personification. Of that. He's obviously very much afraid of germs. Every time we see him touching anything, he pulls out his hanky to touch the railing or open a door. So the fact that Batman can figure that out and then uses it to his advantage with a jar of seawater, of all things, is, is absolutely... <laughs> crimson fever. Yeah, oh, right, right. Horrible was, way to yeah, go. Crimson fever, right. You know, that was uh, a very neat thing to see in my book, that they were playing that up, that... You know, because this guy's puny. He's obviously not a fighter. Batman beating him up would almost make Batman look like a dick. But, yeah. you know, making the guy afraid of what might be in a jar is uh, a better way to handle that situation. So I think they, 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 they did that right. Um, and what, what, what's also interesting about that scene is every time Batman, Batman's punching the wall, you can clearly see that the jar doesn't say Crimson Plague. So it's almost like... Because you can see, like... You can see... There's... I forget... What exactly does seawater seawater for cultures? Right, so you can see something like that. You can see the C and the or the S and the C on there because you can't see the four because it's centered, so you can't see the mm-hmm. F. But you can clearly see the S and the C, so you know it's not crimson play because it's not a C and a P. It's an S and a C, so it's kind of like we the viewers are in on the joke. Like if you're paying attention, you know Batman's not really gonna kill this guy with this deadly plague. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you take us into Joker's favor? Okay, uh, Joker's favor is—it's uh, one of these episodes. It's one of those episodes that doesn't really showcase Batman all that right. much. Uh, the main character is a guy named Charlie Collins, who's just—you know—your basic nine-to-five uh, employee of Gotham City, just an accountant or something. But and he accidentally uh, <laughs> runs afoul of the Joker on the highway. Uh, on his way home from work one day, he's just having a lousy day, and he starts cussing Joker out on the highway, and <laughs> he tries he tries to get away from him, but Joker keeps following him until finally he catches up to him when his car breaks down, uh, and Joker agrees to let him go, uh, but only because uh, Charlie want, promised he would do a favor for him, and he says anything. So uh, he says... When he says, "What's the uh, f- what's the favor?" Joker's like, "I don't know yet." <laughs> <laughs> and it goes to uh, one of those lovely two years later uh, scene shifts, and Charlie is seen m- who has moved to Ohio, has changed his name, and lives in a completely different style of neighborhood. And he gets a phone call from the Joker, who wants Charlie to make good on that promise of a favor. So. Uh, Charlie has to go back to Gotham and and do this so he can make sure his family stays safe. Did I forget anything? Uh, no, no. This episode's it's... quite important though because it's the first appearance of Harley Quinn. Yes, it is. So, and I mean they've got her they've got her nailed down in this episode right away. It's not like 
they introduced her and struggled with her character and it changed down the line. No, they got her right here. She's Joker's she's little cheerleader. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. She's into the whole pudding and Mr. J <laughs> stuff right away. <laughs> so, uh, thoughts? It was a decent episode. Oh, I, come I kinda, on! This episode was great. Yeah. I, I guess, let's see... Let's see. What did I what did I really like about this episode? Well, the ending first of all. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I guess I don't. I don't know if I want to go with the ending right away. Yeah, we'll, we'll work um, into it. Um, let's see. I guess. Well, shoot. My I guess my main gripe with this episode is at the end. Um, but I guess I'll get that to, to that in a second. Did you notice that the uh, kid on the bike and the na- the new neighborhood that he moved to was like exactly the same as the kid from uh, I've Got Batman in My Basement? He was uh, Sherlock or whatever his name. Not Sherlock. Yeah. Uh, what was that kid's uh, name? Sherman. Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. He looked was he? exactly the same. Oh, no, I'm gonna write that down. I didn't. I didn't notice that. The bike. The bike color. The hair. The the outfit. Everything was exactly the same. Was he supposed to be like the same age or? Yeah. It was. It was a kid. Looked like he was about twelve, thirteen. Huh. I, I know. Every now and then, I'll see. Um, they'll use the certain characters in the background in. Um, Shoot, which episode? Gosh, damn it. What's the episode? I know this episode's a way off for us. Where oh, Appointment in Crime Alley, where Batman has to stop the trolley car with the Batmobile. Mm-hmm. If you look in the background at a, like a fruit market or at a newspaper stand, there's a black woman in a, I believe it's like a pink or purple dress, and I'm 99% sure it's the same design as the wife that we see at the very end of The Forgotten. Remember when Bruce and his two buddies come back to Gotham after they've been saved? Yeah, you're right. We, the wife never speaks, but she's standing next to her husband. I'm 99% sure she pops up at the in, in uh, whatever episode I just said that was. <laughs> I forgot already. The Forgotten? No, no, no. Not, she's from The Forgotten, but forgotten. she pops up in... Oh, from Appointment in Crime Alley. Appointment in Crime Alley, right. I'm pretty sure it's her, so... You know, animators do that all the time. Well, they'll just reuse models. But who knows? Maybe Charlie moved into Sherman's neighborhood. <laughs> I don't know. Because where was... In Ohio? Yeah, sure. Sherman moved. Sherman moved, too. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a small world. It's a big coincidence, however you want to say it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm sure as we go along discussing this episode, I'll, I'll be like, you know, this was a really good episode. It was a really good Joker episode. And, you know, Harley Quinn being there only, only made it better. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and tell you what my main gripe with this episode okay. was. It was at the very end, which was, a, all things considered, was a great scene with, with Charlie like psychologically toying with oh, the Joker yeah. with the bomb. It was great. That was great. My problem is Batman laughs. Yeah. I did not like that at all. Because, you know, one of the Joker's main purposes in life now that he's the Joker is to make Batman laugh. And for Batman to do that, even in front of him, it's just, I don't, I didn't like it. I almost wonder if Batman, if his laugh was meant to piss off the Joker. It might have been. Like, ha, 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 this guy, not even trying, can make me laugh, and you, with all your schemes, can't do it. I don't know. That's kind of my big problem with the killing joke, which we spoke about, I think, in the last episode of World's Finest yeah. Podcast. There's a scene at the end where Batman laughs, and I don't like that. It's and I reviewed this. I reviewed uh, the Killing Joke on Earth2.net, and I said that was my like one complaint with that whole comic, is that after everything that's gone down, Batman shouldn't have laughed. 
in this episode, nothing as dark as what happened in The Killing Joke happens. Not, not even close. But again, just Batman, as a rule, just really shouldn't be laughing all that much. You know, it's okay no. for him to be sarcastic once in a while, as he was um, in a, a Prophecy of Doom. But to outright mm-hmm. laugh, mm, yeah, that, I, can, I can see where that bothered you. Definitely, sure. Speaking of that ending, though, what I've always wondered was, did Charlie know that the bomb was a dud? Or was he really pushed so far that he thought it was a live bomb? I think he thought it was fake just because he threw it in front of Batman, too. And Batman had just saved his and everybody's life. Okay. Because, and he specifically went out of his way to try and get Batman's attention earlier. So I'm willing to say, yeah, he thought it was a fake. But that, or he knew it was that a fake. That begs the question, how does a, a schlub from Gotham who moved to Ohio know that a bomb is a gag? Yeah. You know? Unless, how about did that? Joker have a box that said gag bombs? You know, maybe the Joker did. It's the Ooh. Joker. You never know with him. <laughs> you know, seriously, it's like in Star Wars, if there's a mistake, you can just say, oh, it was the Force. If it's a Joker episode and it's a mistake, you can just say it's the Joker. Remember, uh, we were, I was kind of complaining, and I think you were too, about um, in uh, Be a Clown, where the Joker starts pulling the Cupid dolls out of nowhere. You yeah. Know, again. Hammer space. Yeah, maybe, we, maybe you know, I shouldn't have been griping about it because it's the Joker. You know, it's, you just can't explain everything with him. You, you're just not supposed to explain everything with him. And sure, may, maybe we can just say he had a box that said fake bombs. And Charlie happened to find it because it was blown out of the van after it got destroyed by the real bomb. I don't know. One thing I did like about this episode, though, is, and this is, uh, I don't, obviously, I don't think they could have seen whatever a decade into the future, but. The Justice League episode, Joker's Wild, uh, clearly makes a reference to this episode uh, with when Charlie says, gotcha, mm-hmm. with the fake bomb. Okay. That's ex- and it's exactly the same way in, uh, that, in that Justice League episode when, he, when Batman is about to be blown up, but hey, it's a fake, and Joker says, gotcha. Ah. It was v- and it was very clearly uh, a, an homage to this episode. Nice catch there. Nice ca- I, I'm... I'm not as well-versed in the Justice League cartoon as you are. So, you know... Yeah, Justice League is just my thing. Oh, trust me, trust me, I know. That's why I'm glad, you, you know, you're here with me bringing those things up because I wouldn't notice them at all. You know, to me, it's just a line, but it, it's neat that you're able to go, no, 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 they, they bring it back up. So, how about you? You know, you love this episode. Oh, I, I do. I think this episode is so funny from just start to finish. And... The Joker, like, when Charlie's cussing him out and you, he sees him for the first time, the Joker, the way he just, like, smiles at him, doesn't <laughs> say a word, just smiles at him. Like, mm-hmm. like guess who you just pissed off, you big dummy. It's it's so priceless. It's, it's probably one of, I'm not going to say the best, but definitely one of the, my favorite Joker moments in all of the this DC animated universe. Um because he's just he's he's just using his body for a gag there. No joke, yeah. no silly laughing fish, no gas, no nothing. He is just smiling and saying, "Hello, I'm the Joker. You're dead." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it stays that way until they're off the turnpike in the backwoods there and he goes, "I haven't thought yeah. of it yet." Yeah, yeah. That's, it, it never changes. Right, he's just it's, smiling at him. He's he's you know, he I think the up to the point where he yells, the worst thing he really does is he like throws the pennies at Charlie, just antagonizing, two yeah, just antagonizing <laughs> him a little. But yeah, he's still you know patronizing him like Charlie, 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 and then right he yells at him. And it's like whoa, okay, 
Joker just kind of went insane. You know, not that he isn't mm-hmm. ever insane, but yeah, he, he just clearly uh, shifted there. We have to be careful now. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite that, despite you know the way the Joker looks and how funny it is that he's using his body to to intimidate someone, the animation in this episode is a little off. It just really? yeah, it just I, honestly. I'll no, go no, ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say I think Joker's the animation of Joker was a lot more crisp than it was, or crisper, I should say, than. Previous episodes. I, I don't mean specifically on the Joker. I mean kind of like overall. There was something about the animation that just didn't sit right with me. I, maybe I'd have to watch it again to, uh, you know, to, to note specifically what it was. But there were a couple of times where the animation just felt off. And that's the best word I can give it. It's just off. I don't. Know. I just think Joker looked better than he had he had in any of the previous episodes by far. Yeah, he, he definitely does look really good in this one. Um, uh, a little thing to note is that when the Joker looks at Charlie's license, it clearly states that Gotham, or actually I think it's Gotham Heights, is in New York. This might be the only time that they ever say where Gotham City, or again, I think it's Gotham Heights, or is it, what is it, Gotham Heights? Gotham, Gotham States. States. Thank you. Is anywhere in the country. Cause, like New, the New Jersey area. Right. In the comic, Metropolis is New York, and uh, Gotham is New Jersey. But in here, they're, they're, they changed it up a little, but they kept it on the East Coast. But I don't remember any other episode actually addressing where Gotham was in the United States. Am I am I wrong about that? Or no, I don't I don't remember one. Okay, I mean it's clearly a coastal city, but it could have been a wet, the West Coast for all we know. Okay, here's a question for you. Remember when Joker? Or excuse me, not Joker. When uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Bullock. They're walking through the department discussing if uh, Gordon is going to go to that reception in his honor. Mm -hmm. There's a woman, a blonde, in glasses that walks between them. She smiles at Jim. Jim kind of smiles back at her, if I remember correctly. Is that Harley? And if if it is, is, why is she there? Because they never... It looks like Harley, because Harley's a blonde. It looks just like her with glasses. Because, you know, I mean, much, much, much later on, we actually get to see Harley's origin in Mm -hmm. uh, Mad Love. And if I remember correctly, she's wearing glasses in that. Because she used to be a psychiatrist. So she's got to have glasses and look studious. And it looked like Harley to me. Is she the one that Bullock just uh, disgusted by his, you know, his uh, cheap, nasty flirting? (laughs) I can't remember. No, that, it seems like Bullock. Bullock. I know he pissed Montoya off several right, times. Right. No, that but. happens later on when Harley brings the cake in and she's playing the oh, cop. Right. You know, at that point again, right. she's dressed like a sexy cop, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Hey, honey, you want to read me my rights?" And I think she whacks him in the <laughs> knee with the billy club, and she's like, "Jerk!" And just keeps walking. Um, the yeah. jerk or pig, and then Montoya starts laughing at that, of course. Um, but no, before then. I mean, this is real early in the episode. There's a woman looks just like Harley, and she's not... I don't think she's dressed like an officer in the scene I'm speaking of. I think she's supposed to be just like... Uh, like she works in records. Yes, data entry secretary. They make a point of showing her face. She, Like I said, she looks at Gordon, practically looks right at the camera, as if to say, hey, look at me, and I swear it's Harley, but there's no explanation of why she would be in the police department. It's not like they were going to ki- attempt to kill Jim there. They were waiting till the reception. So, again, maybe it's not her, but then that scene seems kind of out of place. Um, despite my love for this episode, there's, there's, there are, it's, you know, it has its problems. 
as as you already pointed out with the ending. Mine, though, is there is a huge like leap of logic that they have to make. Alfred sees what maybe sort of kind of looks like a bat in a window, and he tells Master Bruce, I think you maybe need it inside. It's like, wait, what? I, I, yeah, that... that di- because it did not look like a No, bat. <laughs> the only way that could have worked for me is if Charlie had shined a light behind it so that it looked like the bat symbol, or not, or excuse me, the, yeah. the bat signal, I meant to say. You know, right. so you see this round or oval light behind this thing that kind of looks like a bat. Then I could see Alfred going, Master Bruce, you might want to go back. But otherwise, it's like, right. it's just... Huge, it's, it's, huge yeah, leap of it's, faith it's like logic. It's just a glider or whatever it was hanging in a window. But whatever, they had to get Bruce back in there, and I guess that was their easiest way to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? Hang on a second. There's something I want to mention from a previous episode, because I have a note here. Shoot. Okay, in my notes here, I've re- I've written back to old fighting ways, where Bruce is just kind of sidestepping people and not really punching people, which tells me either in Beware the Grey Ghost, Prophecy of Doom, or Feet of Clay, I must have had a note where I noticed that his fighting skills, because every now and then his fighting skills clearly regress. You know what it is? Yeah, it's in... um. Shoot, in Prophecy of Doom. It's in Prophecy of Doom. Yeah, yeah when he gets beaten up by, by the Lucas. stage and guy. Yeah, yeah. And so I must have, when we were speaking about that episode, I must not have uh, seen the note. Yeah, right here, right. Uh, pared down his fighting skills. He gets beat up. Now, granted, Lucas is bigger. He's clearly thick. He's handled his own in, in fights before. But this is Batman we're talking about. This guy kicks the crap out of him, essentially. And this happens from time to time, where Batman gets beat up by a nobody, and then... The next episode, his fighting skills are back, and this is one of them, where all of a sudden, like I said, he's sidestepping people again, not really beating them up, he's just letting them and their momentum, uh, you know, mm-hmm. defeat themselves. Um, yeah, that always that always annoys me. And I meant to make a note of that when I was watching Prophecy of Doom myself. I just forgot to. I guess that's all I have to say about this one, I think. Yeah, I think so. Do you have anything else about this one? Oh, just that I love the ending with... Uh, Charlie, you know, messing with the Joker, punching him in the stomach first, but then he goes all psychological on him. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah and uh, what I really dig is the Joker calling out for Batman. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I'm gonna die, Batman! <laughs> you know, and then when he realizes Batman was standing there the whole frickin' time. How long were you there? enough. It's like, that is great. It reminds me of, have you ever read, the, okay, there were two times that the uh, Batman crossed over with the Punisher. Did you, have you read either of those? No. There's one written by Chuck Dixon, I believe, and it was drawn by John Romita Jr. And there's a scene at the end where uh, the Punisher has a gun, or he's chasing the Joker down an alley. And the Joker is about to get away, but he slips on a banana peel, of all things. He even comments about it. And I think he says, damn it, or something, <clears throat> and kind of looks at it. And the Punisher has a gun pressed up against the Joker's nose. He's got him dead to rights. And if I remember correctly, I think the Joker might call out for Batman there. Just like, <laughs> help? You know? oh, no, no, he doesn't. What he says is... is the, the Joker makes some sort of... Th- he, he just makes a joke where he's like, oh, so I guess it's time for you to haul me off to jail. And the Punisher's like, no. And the Joker, you could see him kind of regain his sanity, is what it is. 
And he, he sits there and he's like, you're really going to do it, aren't you? I think is the line. And then Batman steps in and butt beats the crap out of the Punisher and stops him from <laughs> killing the Joker. No, but it, it, even though he, I was wrong, he doesn't call it for him. It's a very similar scene where Batman is saving the Joker in the back alley from someone who's clearly lost his mind. But the thing well, with Charlie is he didn't completely lose his mind. Yeah, but cause... he's cracked a little. Yeah, he definitely. No, I'll definitely give you How, that. You know, when but the Joker calls not... you his hobby, you, you're going to lose your mind a little. Yeah, well, I, like I said, I agree. I just he didn't completely lose it. He had a, he had the the backbone of sanity there, I guess, if to coin a phrase. So, because he he was in he was in control. So the last episode we're going to talk about today is Vendetta, and. Um, in this one, it's the first appearance of Killer Croc, and he is setting up Harvey Bullock, is basically what it is. There, uh, there's a couple of prisoners who, um, shit, now I can't even remember the plot. What's the plot? Well, they help, they help frame, uh, or, well, not help frame, I should say, they testified against Killer That's Croc. That's what it was, in a, yes. In a robbery. Uh-huh. And so Croc is kidnapping them, um... Almost make you know making it the first guy. It makes it look like he was murdered, as a matter of fact. And then he abducts a second guy to try to frame Harvey Bullock because you know it's always questionable if Harvey's dirty or not. Um, mm-hmm. And Batman has to uh, investigate because you know he doesn't know what's going on. Is Harvey doing this? Is it someone else? And of course, it's someone else. And he has his first run-in with Croc, as I said before. And uh, that's pretty much the plot of this one. It's not like an ultra deep episode. No. And the f- first thing I noticed about Croc in this episode is he is a lot smarter than he is later yeah, on. Yeah, he's not the I threw a rock at him killer Croc of, of later <laughs> years. I can't wait till we get to that. Oh, episode. I love that episode so much. <laughs> I love it just for that line. Um, but yeah, he's not the dumb down killer Croc that we see. He's got a plan here, and it's a. You know, it's it's you know your typical I'm going to frame a guy plan, but it's more than you'd think Killer Croc could do. I didn't realize Killer Croc had a last name. Like they call him uh, Killer Croc Morgan. Yeah. I never knew he had a last name, and I mean, granted, he's not used a lot in the Batman comics, but even there, I didn't know he had a last name. Hell, maybe they they made it up for this show. I don't know, but the the producers, being the continuity buffs that they are, I have to assume that no, it really is his last name in the comic, and it's just news to me. Uh, his no, his name in the comics is uh, Waylon Jones. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. well, thank you for for adding that for letting me know. Because, like I said, I really I, I want to say maybe the only time I've ever seen Killer Croc in the comic is during the Hush storyline, where he was being controlled. Well, I remember Bane broke his arm. Oh, see, I didn't really read that whole storyline, so I wouldn't know. But you're right. I'm looking at his wiki page right now, Waylon Jones. So they did clearly just make up his own. Give him his, uh, give him a new last name. That's weird, because as I said, these guys are continuity buffs. I wonder why they did that. Maybe yeah. they thought Morgan. Had an maybe they thought Morgan sounded, I don't know, more menacing than Jones. Killer Croc Jones, Killer Croc Morgan. Mm, hmm. I don't know. Let me think about that. Yeah. Anyways, about this episode, I, I think the animation here is just absolutely fantastic, um, especially during the uh, the Batman Rupert Thorne rooftop scene where mm-hmm. he's interrogating him there. Um, there was just something about that where it just, I don't think it could have been done any better. Um, you don't sound convinced though. Well, 
Oh, I, I think it's yeah, the animation was certainly good. I don't think it was great, though. Uh, but I do agree with you on the, uh, the Rupert Thorne scene. Yeah. That was really good. I really liked that because it was. It kind of reminded me of uh, Batman Begins when he takes the guy who just got the stole the falafel and takes him up into the alleyway and drops him down back and forth, back and forth. But uh, overall, yeah, it was it was good animation. Okay. I won't say I won't say anything bad about it. I just don't think it was great. Okay. There's there's a scene in this where Bullock. Nobody knows what's going on with Bullock. Is he dirty? Is he not? And there's there's a scene that he shares with Commissioner Gordon where he calls him Jim. And that might be the only time he does it, at least thus far. Normally he calls him yeah, Commissioner, right? Or Commish, yeah. I, I didn't write the quote down, but he says something, something, Jim. And I thought that was really good writing because it showed, you know, it added a certain reality to this world. I mean, this was a moment where he's like, no, he's not being, you know, Harvey Bullock, wisecracking, kind of scummy cop. He's being like, Harvey Bullock, I'm trying to save my ass, human being, trying to appeal to his boss right there. He's just like, Jim. Yeah, and he sounds more like, yeah, he sounds more like a friend, too. Yeah, there's definitely a familiarity there. Gordon's older, you know, he's, a, he's in a senior position, but there's definitely a familiarity there. You know these guys respect each other and that they're friends, because of the way he says his name. What about this episode for you? Anything? Well, uh, first thing I noticed right away is it's another villain that tries to drown yes! Batman. Oh my god! And as we've dis- as we've discussed in the past, it does not work. Right. With Croc, it makes sense though. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's like okay. I think this has to be like at least the fourth time someone's attempted to drown Batman. Okay, let's count. We had. Uh, to be, or, uh, be a clown with the Houdini tank, with the drowning tank. Mm-hmm. We had Captain Clown, uh, which was, mm-hmm. was that the last laugh? Yeah, I think that was the last yeah. laugh. Um, I want to say there was one more time. I think there was two. Okay. I don't remember So it's either three or four times. It's like, <clears throat> man, people, learn, learn. You can't drown the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to know how Batman can feel a pulse through Kevlar gloves. Yeah. <laughs> I really, he does that all yeah, the time, I and I never understand why, I know. or how. Yeah. Uh, but I did, I liked, uh, like you said, the human side of Harvey Bullock in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it really came to a, a head at the, the end of the episode when Batman and him briefly speak. Yeah, Batman's, you know, Harvey's like, why? Why did you save me? Because they're always, those two are always bickering back and forth. And he's like, because I was wrong, because I thought you were guilty too. And that's a very, how can I put it? That's a... A rarity. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, thank you. That's a rarity for Batman. He does not admit he's wrong, like, ever. So for him to mm-hmm. say it to Harvey Bullock, who, you know, he doesn't exactly get along with, like, you could see him, you, you could see him admitting he was wrong to Alfred to Dick, you know, his father figure and, and his son, basically. But to it, and, and even even Superman once in right. a while, like in the Tower of Babel storyline, he he freaks out. And he's like, "It was my fault! It was my right. fault!" Right. But to admit it to someone that he has a very rocky relationship with is uh, that's a big step for Batman. There, you know, that takes yeah. a lot on his part to say, "I was wrong. I'm sorry." Um, he doesn't quite say, "Can you forgive me?" But that's what he's implying there. You know, because I think he says we're we have different methods, but we're on the same. We both I'm sorry. We both believe in right. the law. It was like, yeah, yeah. Um, so was Killer Croc always a wrestler, or did they change that too? 
along with his name. Ah, uh, God. Let me let me pull up his little page here again. Because you know that kind of you know as a I don't think he was I really don't you know as, as a wrestling fan that kind of it, it always bothers me when media no it does say in a on, on his uh, official like on his wiki page for the official like in continuity character mm-hmm. it does say it says he's an experienced alligator wrestler oh um, and, and then it also says he has some experience street fighting and wrestling so let's see. But that's it. And then it says in other media he was portrayed as a pro wrestler. But anyways, what I was getting at is it always kind of bothers me the way other media portrays wrestling. And, you know, we all know wrestling is, for lack of a better term, fixed. It's predetermined. We all know that. Well, it's choreographed. It bothers me when other media is like, like clearly they're trying to pass it off as being real in this by, by claiming that some shady promoter would hire some freak like this for his company. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, wait, wait. Then again, Vince McMahon would do something like that now that I think about it. <laughs> and I'm dead serious about that. I'm actually not joking. Yeah, he would. So he definitely those last would. like 60 to 90 seconds, just kind of erase from your memory, because now that I think about it, it's true. If there was a guy like this, I could, now that I think about it, actually see a wrestling promoter hiring, especially since Vince has a big hard-on for anybody who's uh, monstrous in size. Uh, so... Or 300 pounds yeah, or exactly. more. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, I take back everything I do. Like, Batman admitted he was wrong at the end of this. I admit I was wrong right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, speaking of Croc's size, though, his design throughout Batman the Animated Series, has always it always kind of bothered me. I, it, I always felt like his torso was a little too rectangular. Well, he doesn't have a neck. I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I can I can see what you're saying there. And his hips were just, like, toothpick thin, but maybe I'm thinking of No, I think else. you're right. I think he's very thin at the waist, and then he kind of, uh, he starts getting wider as we get up towards uh, his, like, armpits and up towards his shoulders. Mm-hmm. He definitely gets wider, but he's, like, very blocky. And now that's weird to say, considering, like, almost everybody in this freaking cartoon is blocky. You know, just look at Batman's mm-hmm. jaw. But yeah. it doesn't quite work with Croc. I mean, I understand what they're going for. They're trying to make him, you sh- you're trying to show us that he's human, but he is deformed. I, I get that. But it still doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel like it was the right design for this character. Um, in fact, he almost doesn't even look like what he's supposed to look like. I mean, granted, he's got the teeth, and he's gray-skinned and scaly, but I don't think he quite looks like a croc. He just looks like some gray, no. blocky freak. Yeah, yeah he, doesn't, he doesn't look like a croc at all, because crocs have kind of a beak. Is like a foot long, at least. His, his jaw comes out a little, you know. But again, it just doesn't look crockish to me. Just the, again, the design never, ever, ever sat right with me. And this show, you know, I, that's probably the only design I would say they ever truly got. I don't want to say it was wrong, but most of their designs were spot on, in my opinion. And this, this is the only one where I would say mm, they could have done better. Now, remember, uh, in one of a, one of the recent episodes, I mentioned if you look at the newspapers, you could see. Uh, a reference to Pretty Poison. Mm-hmm. That happens again in this one. That newspaper shows up again. When Batman's going through the microfiche on the back computer, the, the mm-hmm. newspaper from Pretty, Pretty Poison shows up with with uh, Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne shaking hands at the ground break, breaking for Blackgate uh, Penitentiary. It's there for <laughs> half a second. And then after that, okay, because it goes from that to the newspaper about Killer Croc, there's one in between there that you got a freeze frame. It's like it had to be an, a joke 
amongst the animators or the producers or the writers or someone. I can't even explain it. It's just there was like a head with like this really silly looking mustache. I know it's weird, and you're all thinking, wait, what, 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 but just going for, you know, as we said in the past, you know, the Simpsons and a lot of other cartoons, including Batman here, they have those, you know, VCR gags, they're called, where you have to pause it. This is one of them. Go back to that microfiche scene and pause it. Right after you see the one newspaper and before you see the Killer Croc one, pause it. There's, there's like, just this weird image that has to be a gag, and you didn't catch that, James? No, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go back and watch it, and on our next episode, I'll, if I know what that might be, I'll make a note of it. So is that it for these episodes, or...? I'm done, because I was never a big Killer Croc fan in the first place. Yeah, so. you know, last time I said, I believe at the end of the episode, I said I kind of had a soft spot for him, and I, I really have a soft spot for him just because of that, that episode almost got him. You know, and that's mm-hmm. not even... Well, not to spoil anything, but hell, this, the, the show is 15 years old at this point, basically. That's not even Croc! That's Batman. So, yeah. but regardless, you know, I can kind of feel Croc's pain. Can't fit in anywhere. So what else is he going to do but turn to a life of crime? There's not much you can do with the guy, and it kind of shows in the episodes, really. But anyways, regardless, uh, time to give our scores? I believe so. Okay, but where the Grey Ghost, would you give that? I'll give that an 8.5. You ranked it higher than me? I did? I gave it an 8. Really? Yeah, hmm. you know... Remember last time with Heart of Ice, I think I gave it a 9, where you gave it a 10? Yeah, I, that was one of the few times I'll ever get a sh- give a show a 10. Right, and I'm not I'm not knocking you for doing it. That, that's fine. That's your prerogative. You know, remember, I gave it a 9 because I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I want to make it, give an episode a perfect score. I don't know. And I was kind of on mm-hmm. the fence about it. And later on, I probably will change my score to a 10 anyways. This is another one where I'll probably, I was probably just playing it conservative. And down the line, I'll probably bump it up to a 9. But for now, I'm going to stick with an 8 on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Prophecy of Doom? Obviously, Doom, I gave Middle Road 5. I gave this one a 6, um, specifically because I like Bruce's uh, uh, sarcasm. sarcasm. Just, yeah. Again, psychic vibrations, Alfred. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's those lines right there, just the way they portrayed Bruce Wayne here, really, I, I'm giving it a bonus point for that. Otherwise, I would be absolutely with you giving this an average score of 5. Well, and I probably would have even graded it higher if they hadn't just, like, flushed it down the toilet with the quoting Shakespeare at the end there. Feet of Clay. 8. 7 from me. Um, and I don't know why I'm ranking that one so low. So you know what? Take, I'm taking back my 7, and on the spot, I'm changing it to an 8. <laughs> I do not know. I at first, you know, hell, I'm going to be honest with you. When we were first talking about this one, I changed my score then too. I gave this one a six to begin with, and I don't know what the hell I was thinking. So <laughs> while we were talking, I bumped it up to a seven, and now when we're giving our final score on this one, I'm bumping it up to an eight as well. So that that one deserves a really high score in my opinion. Joker's favor, uh, six point five. I'm going to give that one a seven. Uh, as much as I love that episode, it's it's not perfect. But so far, it's definitely the best Joker episode. And lastly, Vendetta. Uh, six, just because I like I like the Bullock stuff. Yeah, I give this one a six as well. When crime haunts the night, a silent crusader carries the torch of justice. With evil hearts, beware, for out of the darkness comes the Grey Ghost. (laughs) 
tonight's episode, The Mad Bomber. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to worldsfinestpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our forums, which can be found at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being Fear of Victory, The Clock King, Appointment in Crime Alley, Mad as a Hatter, and Dreams in Darkness. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 